This morning, diving in uh, or continuing our series in the book of 1 John, excited to be there. And I was thinking as uh, it relates to our topic this morning, we're kind of going into the vacation season. I don't know if there's anybody else here that has one on the calendar already scheduled or looking forward to it. But one of the funny things that we do that I've noticed in our culture that we do is when someone comes back from a vacation and they come back with a nice tropical tan, there's a certain degree of like, ooh, you've been somewhere nice, haven't you? Like we have a funny kind of way that we work with that, with, with tans being evidence that you've been somewhere, that you've, been, that you've spent some time in the sun, right? You're like, man, you must have really not done anything for a long time. You look great. And, uh, and so that's the gauge usually that we determine how good of a vacation somebody's been on. It's evidence, if you will, that you've been in the sun, and the first thing that I wanted to point to this morning is, is really the book of 1 John. If you haven't caught this already, the book of 1 John is really trying to point to different evidences in somebody's life that they have Christ abiding in them. There's certain things that point or evidences that point to the fact that you have the Son. Do you like that connection? Uh, the Son inside of you, that He's working in you. And one of those, the biggest ones, is that we're going to see in our text this morning, is the transformation from the inside out. That somebody that's in Christ, that they're, that they're changing. They're not the same person. They don't, they don't look the same. They don't talk the same. They don't respond the same. There's a, there's, a, there's a transformation that's happening. And the question that we're pointed to this morning is saying, do you have those evidences? Can you point to that in your life? The hope is, is that we can have a confidence to know that, yeah, yes, I, I can see that. I can see the transformation. 1 John 5, 13, it says this, the purpose of writing this book, John says, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. He doesn't want us to be wondering whether or not we're saved. He says, listen, there's some things that will point, evidences that you'll see, so that you know, so that you can have a confidence in the fact that you're in Christ. But I think it's interesting, and hence the title of our, our talk today, A Healthy Tension, the idea that is pointed to this tension is that John doesn't really let us off the hook with just this confidence. Yes, I'm saved, I'm set, I'm, I'm good to go. Yes, he wants us to have that. But there's also a healthy tension that I would propose, and this text points to, that a tension that there should be, wait a second, pause in our life to ask on occasion, I would, I would even say regularly, does my life show evidence of Jesus residing in me? doesn't matter how long you've been in church world, if you've been attending for five years, 10 years, 50 years, that's still a question that we need to ask ourselves. Do I see evidence of Jesus residing in me? If he is, there's going to be some serious transformation. You're going to have a tan, if you will, as evidence that, man, there, there's something different about that, point, that person. So it's a tension that he presents all, all along here. And I would propose that the fact that he's 90 years old when he's writing this says like, oh, there's not really a point that you're like, okay, I'm, I'm good. I, shouldn't, I, I can stop asking that question. No, it's something for us to ask all the way through. Not even at just asking ourselves that question, but what happens if you ask someone that's close to you that same question? Do you see 
some evidences in my life of Christ working in me. Do you see that? It's neat in our, uh, we have a men's discipleship group that I'm a part of. And we were yesterday uh, morning just talking about different evidences of the fruits of the Spirit. And we were sharing, you know what, I see this in you. I see this in you. It's really encouraging. You're like, all right, that's encouraging. Like I can have a, a confidence that the Holy Spirit's in work at work in our lives. The hope is, though, that this morning, that this is one, uh, one, an encouragement, but also a little bit of a tension that we walk away with. Let me pray towards that this morning. Dear Lord, we thank you so much for this text that you push us a bit, that you don't want us to become complacent or comfortable where we're at, that you recognize that, that change takes appropriate nudges. You know, we've each seen that in our own life, that you do that so well. God, I pray this morning that you speak to this through this text, that you'd be great and I'd be small. In Jesus Christ's name, amen. If you wouldn't mind turning with me in your Bibles, it's so much more helpful if we're looking at the same verse together. I don't put the, the main text on the screen because I want you to be looking at it in front of you. If you don't have a Bible, there's one in the chair in front of you. If you don't own a Bible, you can take that one home uh, with you. We're in chapter 2 of 1 John, close to the, the end of the Bible if you're trying to find it. Uh, we're in chapter 2, and we're going to start in verse 28. And you might say, wait a second, why are you starting the last two verses of the chapter? Well, you see, the interesting thing is that the sections of the Bible are actually the man-made part. We're the ones that thought, oh, well, this is a new, a new section. And so we created the, these, and I would propose that this is the beginning of the, this section as it starts with, and now. So look at verse 28. It says, and now, little children... Abide in him so that when he appears, we may have confidence, not shrink from him in shame at his coming. If you know that he is righteous, you may be sure that everyone who practices righteousness has been born of him. Let's break that down. The first thing that you notice, I've mentioned it a couple times in this series so far, is his reference to us or believers as little children. We've talked about that. In fact, in this book, the short book of the Bible, seven different times he refers to that. And I love to think of this, this, this older man being having a, a tenderness as he talks to the people that he cares about. I was uh, hit pause for a second, even thinking in my own life, wouldn't it be good that as I got older, I became more and more tender. Wouldn't you hope that for yourself? I would propose that there's enough grumpy older people out there that we could use a few more that are, are, are tender and the, the Holy Spirit's doing a work in their life. I remember when, uh, when Bill Barry spoke uh, just at the beginning of this year, he talked about, you might even remember it as I'm talking about it, he talked about a, a fictitious man by the name of Hank and the Hank had been in the church for years and years and was just a grumpy guy, grumpy guy, and just nothing ever changed. And the, the thing that was the saddest part of that story that he shared was that nobody in the church was surprised at that. Nobody in the church was surprised at that. He stayed grumpy. And I'm like, wait a second. If someone's in Christ, there should be a transformation, a softening, a tenderness that happens. There's the pause for a second to point to that, what is he talking about in his tenderness as he approaches the, uh, this, this topic? He's talking about when Christ, he says, when he appears. Now, what do you think he's talking about? Who do you think he's talking about appearing or, or coming back? If, you're, uh, if you spend any time in the, the New Testament, it's a reoccurring theme. The, the, the truth that Jesus Christ, 
There's a day and a time that he is returning. It's, it's as sure as any other fact in Scripture, as sure as anything else that's, that's pointed to, that all the other promises in Scripture that have come true, this one's going to come true as well. 1 Thessalonians 4.16 describes what that is going to look like, his second coming. It says, listen to this description. It gives you chills when you think about it. It says, For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. Isn't that an awesome picture? Sometimes you, you, you grow numb to things in Scripture and you've heard it so long. Yeah, yeah, he's coming about. But picture that actually happening. A loud trumpet, a loud cry, us rising and meeting him. What does it say? Where do we meet him at? In the sky. Like, this is crazy. Those of us that are afraid of heights are like, I don't know about that. But what does it say? It says we're supposed to be encouraged by this reality. It's supposed to be something that we are, are like, I can't wait for that. That's, that's exciting. How are you with that? Are you ready? Are you excited for it? Are you, w- would you describe yourself as prepared? You're like, yes, I, I'm ready. Or what does the text say the alternative is to that? It says that we may have confidence, the alternative, and not shrink from him in shame at his coming. Why would we shrink from him in, in shame? Maybe, maybe because we have some things left that were a little bit like, ah, I wanted to get that taken care of. I don't feel real great about where this is at. There's an there's a, a encouragement to, towards a sense of urgency because we don't want to be the, the left like, wait a second, he, he's coming? I, I'm in big trouble. I, my family talks about this fun story in my family. My sister, when she was two years old, she discovered the phenomenon that we call the tissue box. The tissue box, what she discovered is this, I'll show you, that when you pull one out, another one comes. At two years old, she discovered that, and she kept discovering that. Whoa, you keep pulling them. You keep pulling them. They keep coming. They keep coming. You, you can do this for hours. You guys should do it. It's therapeutic. I encourage it this afternoon. And, and you do this, and you're like, wait a second. Well, my two-year-old sister, when she had done this, she realized, looking around and hearing mom's footsteps, that, wait a second, I, I'm, in, I'm in big trouble. So what does she say to my mom? She says, Mom, don't come see me. Don't come see me, Mom. Don't come see me. And, and, and so, of course, my, my mom was like, oh, yeah, I'm coming to see you because that's a, a guarantee that you're up to something you're not supposed to be. And I was thinking about that picture of the same idea a lot of us in our relationship with Christ. We prayed a prayer many years back, but if we're honest with ourselves, we have a little bit of the, God, don't come see me. Don't come see me yet. Don't, I, I'm not quite ready. There's some things that I have to get in order. But the truth is, and the reality of God's word, it's a theme running throughout, is there is a day that he's going to come and see us. Are we ready for that? But in all fairness, when you ask that question, because a lot of us are like, well, uh, 
I haven't done this, or I wish I hadn't done this. In all fairness, if you're going to study this passage, you also have to understand the reality that we're not depending on our own righteousness. I appreciated James McDonald as he's looking at these couple of verses. He said, you need to be reminded of the simple theological truth. You've heard these terms before, potentially, of imputed righteousness. Imputed righteousness. If you don't know those terms, you want to cling on to those like none other. Let me explain why. The principle of imputed righteousness is this, is that you, if you've embraced Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, when God looks down on you, he doesn't even see you. He only sees you wrapped in Jesus Christ. That's why we don't have to shrink away in fear because you're like, wait a second, because I've embraced what he's done on the cross, he strictly sees you've adopted the righteousness of Christ. You're like, ah, Scott, I don't know if I buy that. Where does that actually say that in Scripture? Oh, I'm glad you asked. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says this, For our sake he made him, Jesus, to be sin." Who knew no sin, so that in him, listen to those words, that in him we might become the righteousness of God. We are the righteousness of God when we are in him. Philippians 3, 8 through 9, Paul clinged to this. He says, Indeed, I count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. And what does he say? For his sake... I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. That is imputed righteousness. And so when the enemy wants to come and, and beat you up and tell you about how, how you're falling short and you're not meeting the expectations and you're probably not really ready for his arrival, you're like, no, I'm clinging to that hope. But the truth is, is the tension that we talk about in the text is, but if you are in him, three different times in those different verses, it says those born of him, those in him, those found in him. It's a reoccurring theme. If you are in him, he's going to be changing you because he can't be in you and not change you. It's part of what he does. It's part of it. So, so that your practices of righteousness is actually evidences of him working in you. It's not you that you're like, ooh, look at me. It's like, no, look at him doing some major renovation in my life. You might be able to fake it for a while on your own, trying the righteousness thing, but eventually, as many of us have found, when you're just trying to do it on your own, you eventually crack. You eventually break. That's why we cling to the imputed righteousness of Christ. That's why what does it say is the, the idea here, going back to the, uh, verse 20, 28, now little children, abide in him. How many times in this series have I said that? Abide in him. Just keep hanging out with him. Spend time. Foster that relationship. Because out of that relationship, that's where the transformation comes. 
My wife, as we maybe heard me mention, was away this last week on vacation with her sister and some girlfriends for an upcoming birthday and got back and it was kind of fun. I was thinking about the same idea of abiding as it relates to relationships. When she gets back on Friday evening kind of late and man, she was ready to share stories for hours. So at 1.30 in the morning, I'm kind of like, all right, honey, that's great. Tell me about how you got stuck at the airport. That's great, you know, and uh, all, all of the drama or whatnot. And, and, and she's just going story after story. I was teasing her for being chatty patty. And, uh, and, and, and so, but I was thinking about it. I was like, you know why she wanted to do that? Because we're so accustomed to abiding, like we're together all the time. We we do life together. We share. We talk. We 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 encourage each other. We like and so when that that abiding was broken off, even for six days, there's like wait a second, we got some catching up to do, and the same should be true in our relationship with Christ. He's like, listen, I'm not I'm not trying to get you to do three hail marys. I'm just saying, abide, spend time with me, talk with me, engage with me, share what's going on. Tell me the things that are frustrating you, how you got stuck at the airport. Talk with me. If you think of it in those relational terms, it makes so much more sense, or at least it does for me. So we see the importance of abiding here. You see also in this tension that our identity has changed. Look in verse 1 of the next chapter. It says, See what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God. And listen to these words. And so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know Him. Beloved, we are God's children now. And what we will be has not yet appeared, but we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, because we shall see him as he is. And everyone who hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. It's interesting if you think of this little section here, the gap that so many of us have between who I think I am and who God says I am. So often we get kind of in that, that old law-based deal where you're like, ah, oh, I'm, I'm just a failure. I keep messing up and I keep, I keep blowing it. And that's just my, my identity is, is caught up in that. And the, uh, the enemy has a heyday just beating us up and keeping us down. But, but, but what, is, what, is he, what does he say? He says, but wait a second. What does he say is true about us? He says, no, that's not who you are. You're actually children of God. Children of God. What kind of crazy love of that? Look what it says out of the beginning. It says, see what kind of love the Father has given to us. In other words, this is not a love that you're familiar with in human terms. The world has no idea what you're talking about, this kind of love. It's a love that forgets our rebellion. It's a love that's unchanging. It's a, it's a, it's a love that's never ending. It's a, it's a love that forgets, keeps no records of, of wrongs crazy kind of love, if you will. Think of the ultimate expression of that crazy love is in the fact that he's saying, listen, you're, you're part of the family now. Now, I don't know what your background is. Some of us came from lousy family backgrounds. Some of us have great families. Some of us are like, man, I don't really think the family thing is a, is a great encouragement. You like read a text like this and you're like, well, oh, being a child isn't necessarily a great thing based on my experience. But in this perspective of the perfect dad, the perfect father, you couldn't hear better news. You couldn't hear better news. 
My family and my, my life, my wife, my kids, probably the, uh, other than God, the most important thing for, for, for me to say somebody's in the family, you know, like that, that's a, a big deal because we really elevate family in my, in my life. But here in, the, in this text, what he's saying, he's saying, listen, this is, this is a huge deal. And you're a, lot, a lot of us are like, yeah, but sometimes I don't really feel like it. How many of you have said that? You're like, I don't really feel like I'm in the family. Sometimes I feel like I'm just the, uh, the, the stepchild, the, the forgotten one, the one that's kind of on the outside looking in. But that's not the case. That's not the case. What does it say? It says, Beloved, we are God's children now. Now. Now is an important word to understand. It's not some kind of a future hope that we're like, okay, someday we're going to be in. Like he, he, he paved the road, he set up the, the course, and then someday we're going to be in the family. We're going to be a child. He's like, no, that, that's now. That's immediate. And you're like, but I don't feel like it. I heard a, a preacher one time say about feelings, he says, they, they make a, a terrible engine, but a wonderful caboose. The idea of this, the, the idea of like, hey, you, you, it, it's fine. You don't want to be absent of feelings, but you don't want them driving the train. They're a lousy engine, a wonderful caboose. And the truth is, when we're thinking about our identity, clinging to the truth that's pointed to here is saying, man, you, you are part of the family. Part of the reason I would propose that we don't feel like we can embrace that is because we're like, yeah, but you might say that I'm part of the family but I know that my behavior is so inconsistent with a child of God. There's such a, a gap between the two. I love it because this verse speaks to that too. It says, Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared. Anybody find hope in that? You're like, yes, good news. There's, a, there's an end line. There's, good, there's, good, there's still some change that needs to occur. Anybody else is like, thank the Lord for that. There, there's some change still on the horizon. And it says, but, but because we, when we see him, I'm sorry, but we know that when he appears, we shall be like him. I have no idea how that's going to work, how that's going to play itself out. But I'm just clinging to that promise. That he's like, man, when, when, I, when I see him, I'm going to be made to be just like him. That's crazy talk. Like, what do you mean? You mean absent of the struggle? Absent of the temptation? Absent of this, this pull towards the old sinful nature? Like, yep, yep, that's done. There's an end line to us, and that's another thing that we can cling to and hope that we will see him as he is. This is good news, part of the family. So our identity has changed, but in that change, here's what I'd present, that there's progression that is inevitable in our lives. There's an expected progression. Take a look at verse 4 here that, about talking about progression in our life. Everyone who makes a practice of sinning also practices lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. You know that he appeared in order to take away sin, and in him there is no sin. No one who abides in him, listen to that verse, no one who abides in him keeps on sinning. No one who keeps on sinning has either seen him or known him. Little children, again, tenderness, let no one deceive you. Whoever practices righteousness is righteous, as he is righteous. Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil, for the devil has been sinning from the beginning. Listen to this. This is important. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. No one born of God makes a practice of sinning, for God's seed abides in him, and he cannot keep on sinning because he has been born of God. 
By this it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Listen to these words, important. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. Pretty powerful section there, and I know I went through that fairly quickly. I encourage you maybe to go through it again on your own. There needs to be, the, the big idea is that there needs to be a growing pattern of freedom in our lives. There needs to be a, a growing release of the grip that sin has on us over a period of time. There's a progression that is expected where there's less of me and more of him. What does he say? He says, he says you can't practice sin any longer. I like to make sure that we understand the idea of practice. Practice, the picture of something that's practice, if somebody's practicing sin, that kind of po- that, that points to the idea of like, you know what? There's no longer a struggle anymore. You've just submitted to it and you've just said, that's who I am, that's what I do. He's, and the, whole, and the, the text is saying, no, that's not possible. Because why? Why is it impossible? Because look, it says, you know, talking about Jesus, that he appeared in order to take away sins. There, there, there needs to be an ongoing resistance that's happening because it says if the, his seed's inside of you, there's a transformation that's taking place. If he set up camp in you and you know that he hates sin and he came to destroy sin, how can you be like, yeah, but I'm just continuing sinning? Well, then obviously he's not reigning in your life. Obviously he's not doing a work. Like there, there, there's evidences. Remember we talked about that? There's evidences. There's things that point to the fact that he's residing inside of you. You know, maybe this is too simple of an illustration, but we all know and love Chad and Erica. But if you were to think of, of Chad, what are some things that are attached to him? What are the things that he's like fully about? Like that man loves music. Like you spend any degree of time with Chad and you're learning things you didn't know about music. You're lear- like, I, I've picked up more in the last two years about music from just rubbing shoulders with him. I'm like, man, what in the world? Like it just kind of, it trickles out of him. That's a passion that God's given him. Now, if you had this idea, and I know that maybe this is a scary thought of Chad setting up residence inside of you. Uh, that's a creepy thought. Some of you bear with me. But if you were to set up camp inside of you, do you not think there'd be some talk about music? Do you not think your fingers would be suddenly drawn to some white keys? Do you not think all of a sudden you might be humming a little bit more, maybe whistling a little bit more? I, I don't know what Chad does, but, uh, but, I, but you think about it because that's who he is. Well, this is saying that who Jesus is, is he's residing in you. He's all about destroying sin. He's all about tearing that out. He's, he's, he's dealt the ultimate blow against the enemy, but now he's about rooting out the rest that's still stuck in us. The pieces that are like, oh, I got to get that out. Ooh, that's ugly. I got to get that out. I got to get that out. That's who he is. That's what he does based on this text. So I love the idea that he says, uh, he says, no one who abides in him keeps on sinning. That's just not how it works. I love his tenderness. He's like, let no one deceive you. Kind of like, don't be fooled into this lie. Stop kidding yourself. If you're making a practice of it, that's a problem. There needs to be evidences of a struggle. I love this. Uh, last year when Josh spoke last summer, he shared a verse I'd, I'd never heard before. In Hebrews 12.4, talking about the struggle against sin, says this in Hebrews 12.4, In your struggle against sin... You have not yet resisted 
to the point of shedding your blood. I was like, wow, that's a pretty tense, intense verse. Like, you're right, I haven't. But that's the, the calling. That there's, there's supposed to be a battle going off. There's, there's supposed to be something, uh, some alarms that go off that when you start seeing yourself going down a certain way, pattern of thinking, certain pattern of behavior, certain pattern of response to situations, that there should be like, like a, a growing sound in your ear that's like, can't do that anymore, can't do that anymore, that, that's not you, that's not who you are, you're changing, you're transforming, I'm in here, you, you can't do that, stop it, stop it, like the alarms should be going off. My question for us do we see that happening in our life? Do we see a, a growing sensitivity to the, the, the Lord's work inside of us, the transformation? I like the idea of just an alarm that you're like, it goes off all the time. It's, it's, always, it's always hitting me. It's always like that. That's the kinds of se- kind of sensitivity. I, I remember some years back I had a car. Maybe you've had this before where the alarm went kind of crazy on it. Like the alarm like start, stopped working properly. It started like going off like when you turn the, a certain key this way or whatever and you couldn't get it to go off. Have you ever been in that situation where you're hitting every button, you're trying to ter- turn things off and the, the neighbors are glaring at you? Like I, I remember this specifically with this car. I was like, oh, it's driving me crazy. I remember even trying to take the battery out and it wouldn't, the alarm wouldn't go off. And I was like, I was like man, that, that's what I desire in my walk with Christ. I want alarms going off all the time when, I, when, I, when I'm not talking kindly with my wife, when I'm not being patient with my kids, when, I, when I'm uh, allowing some deception or dishonesty sneak into conversation, when I'm, you know, whatever it is, you, you fill in the blank in your life what alarms need to go off, but that's what he's calling us to. He's saying you can't, you can't keep practicing sin, not if he's abiding in you. It doesn't work like that. The two can't cohabitate. A lot of people, and this is a dangerous thought, is you can, it's interesting, verse 7 says, whoever practices righteousness is righteous. The idea there, when you read that at first, you're like, what is it talking about? Here's the idea that's presented there, is somebody that is righteous. A lot of people cling to that, and you're like, I am righteous, like, like my identity, I'm righteous, I'm clinging to my, uh, I'm clinging to my identity in Christ, the, the, the righteousness through him, yes, and that's good, that's important. There, we need to cling to that identity piece, but there also has to be a marriage with our behavior also changing. Whoever practices righteousness is righteous. False teachers would say that you can be righteous and not practice righteousness living solely on the spiritual reality and not in the physical. But the spiritual reality that we're made righteous translates into the physical reality. Am I, are you tracking with me? Like the, It's not just, oh, look, look at me, look at my identity. It's like, no, it, 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 ripples, it ripples into us. You can't, you can't be righteous and then not act righteous. They're married together. But here's where you start getting a little anxious when you're reading this kind of a text. You're like, yeah, but I blow it all the time. I, I fail, fail, fail. Here's the tension part that I was talking about at the beginning. You can't just read this section and forget what we already read. 1 John 2, 1. I'm writing these things to you that you may not sin. And here's the most important but. But, that sounded funny. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, 
Jesus Christ, the righteous. If anyone does sin, anybody else fall in that camp? Anybody else need this tension between, yes, I want to see the, the righteousness, I want to see the transformation, but, but I blow it all the time. Wait, wait a second, but, I, but I'm, I'm changing, I'm progressing, but I'm not there. Like there needs to be that constant tension between those two worlds, and that's not such a bad thing. Otherwise, we slip into complacency. What's in 1 John 1, 9? It says what to do in that situation. It says confess your sin. Keep going back to the advocate saying, oh, I'm there again. I messed up. It's kind of like, it's like a refreshing uh, water after being in the, in the heat. I was thinking my family does vacations. We go to the East Coast. Or we have, since I was a little kid, to Ocean City, New Jersey. And one of the things that happens in July, August there, it gets like 90, 100 degree temperatures. And, uh, and the sand starts to get super hot. And so you have this walk from the boardwalk trying to make it to the water. I don't know if you've ever done this before. And you're kind of doing that like hop thing where you're like, you're, you're doing this because the sand's so hot and you're trying to, and you start going to, from one stranger's towel to the next. And, uh, and uh, okay, maybe that's just me. But, uh, but the end line is this, that you're what? You're just, just trying to get to the water. Trying to get, trying to get refreshed, trying to get cooled off, trying to, trying to get it washed off, and, and really that's the same picture. It's just like, oh, I've blown it, and so you're like, okay, I got to get back, I got to get back. That's the picture of the tension that we're called to live in, to keep on going back to the advocate. And the wonderful thing is, he's like, okay, here we go again. Let's get you rinsed off and back in the game. Like rinsed off, back in the game. That, that's that's the same same picture that we see in Scripture in 1 John, 1 John 1.9, the invitation that allows for the sweetness of the relationship with Christ to be recovered and the hatred of sin to be restored and the joy of the salvation to be renewed. You're like, all right, I'm back, I'm ready. But there's this ongoing tension, and I don't think that the tension ever ends. I think it's a lifelong deal. I'm convinced of that. I've never not felt that tension. Have you ever not felt that tension? I love John Piper. We'll put this quote up here. I think he, he really paints the picture well. He's, when he says John, he's talking about the book of John. He says, John's warning of hypocrisy calls you back from the precipice of presumption. Do you follow what he's saying there? His warning not to like say, say okay, I, I've got this all together. I prayed a prayer when I was seven, and, and, uh, and I'm, I, I got the heaven thing worked out. He's saying he's calling you back from the precipice of presumption, presuming on things. He's saying, listen, I'm calling you to actually live this out because I don't want you to presume on anything because if you're in Christ, he's transforming you. Then he says, John's promise of an advocate calls you back from the precipice of despair. Do you track with him on that? This idea that like, oh, yeah, but the, the weight of my, my sins and the behavior thing, it's like I get so down, I, get, I feel so defeated, and that's where the importance of the tension goes is he's just like, but good news, you have an advocate. And so there needs to be that growing tension between those two worlds for both of us so that we don't get comfortable so that we don't just get like lax and kind of callous to sin where it's no big deal because it's covered. And, and we don't want to get uh, so caught up in the behavior that you're like, uh, you're like, oh, I'm trying to earn my way and do all this. And then, you're, and then you forget that it's only through the advocate. And so those two things are tugging at each other and it's appropriate and healthy tension in the life of a believer. So how do I proceed? The encouraging thing is that 
it does have an end line. It does have an end line. Like this struggle, like we're going to laugh in 10,000 years from now, we're going to be hanging out and be like, oh, remember that back then in 2015, how hard that was? Like, but, but guess what? There's, there, there's an end to this. There's hope. And so in the meantime, 1 Timothy 6.12 says to fight the good fight of faith. Fight the good fight. Just keep swinging. Keep working on this. And the encouraging thing is, it's not keep swinging to try to work harder. It's keep swinging to, all right, I'm going to abide. Nothing's going to get in the way. i gotta, I got to hang out with them again because I'm, I've, I'm starting to pick up some, some bad characteristics. I'm starting to take on the old self again. I'm fighting because i got to get back and abide again. Fight for the abide. Fight for the abide. That's what he's calling us to. For me, I was like, you know what? This is a, this is a heavy passage. But the good news, the hope that we need is the advocate. The tension that we should feel is not to get lax and comfortable and back to, the, to sinful patterns. I think it's an act of God's kindness to share this. Wouldn't you agree? Let me pray for us before we go. God, I thank you for this text. And really, I see this theme running throughout Scripture of this tension a lot of us, we allow it to, to beat us up because we're like, oh, I'm not good enough. I'm not good enough. The encouragement is, the answer to that question is, you're right. You're not. And that's okay because we have an advocate on our behalf, speaking on our behalf, God, that we cling to, to his righteousness. But if we've embraced that advocate, he's going to be doing some work in us. There's going to be some change. There's going to some, some be some... Uh, look, things are going to look a lot different. God, my hope is that we wouldn't be the person described in the text that shrinks back at the idea of Christ's return, but one that celebrates, that runs towards that. God, change us, form us, shape us, get us out of the way, we ask. We can't do any of this on our own. In Jesus Christ's name we pray, amen. Those are powerful words that we're speaking, right? Take, take all of me. And that's really what he's asking. That's what he wants. He, he wants all of us. It's not a partial thing. It's a full in, man. I'll tell you what, but there will be no regrets. No one's going to get at the end of the line and be like, oh, I wish I would have held back a little bit more, right? Like, like that. I don't, I don't think anybody's going to be saying that. Just pray that we live in the, the joy of him being our advocate this week, but the tension of like, yeah, but that, that means I need to abide and there needs to be some transformation in my life. Amen? God bless you. Have a fantastic week.